You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. series um, on our values. And so for this last week of our series, we're going to focus on um, not one of our values, but instead some of our theological distinctives as a congregation. Um, so there's a lot of different churches that maybe that some of us have come from or been a part of uh, that maybe have like what's called like a beliefs page on the church's website, or maybe they have a doctrinal statement that they expect everyone in the church to agree to if they're going to become a member. Um, or maybe they have a creed that they read all aloud in one voice together in a service um, that everybody sort of ascribes to in the congregation. But at Forefront, um, we've chosen to not do that. And part of that is because we believe that we are united by our shared values and not necessarily by our beliefs. And underneath our values are a lot of different beliefs that take shape and take form. And we believe that because we're an interdenominational church, right? And so because we come from so many different traditions and backgrounds, and because we leave space for people to agree and disagree and ask questions, um, we really believe that it's important that underneath our values, our values are so specific but also so broad that it allows space for people to have a diversity of thought and different beliefs that may, sh- that may fall underneath those values. Um, so over the last few weeks, if you haven't been here, the values that, we, uh, that we've highlighted as a, as a congregation is that we have our value of, being, of worship reimagined, uncommon kinship, and radical equity. And if you're like, I don't know what any of those mean, I wasn't here, then guess what? We have these things recorded. Um, they're on the website, they're on the podcast, they're on Facebook, they're on YouTube. You can go back, you can watch, you can listen anytime and be able to sort of gain an understanding of what those things are and what that means for us as a community. It's under the banner of these values um, that give us space for all these different beliefs uh, to be held in this space. And I personally am really grateful for that because I know um, that while we do have a bunch of things that we have as theological directives that we're going to talk about today, we do not require anyone to believe all of those. Or anyone to understand all of them, or anyone to also ascribe to all of them. Instead, these are just distinctives that many on staff and many in the church um, reflect and believe, but that never, never means that you have to believe or reflect that. It's just a common thread, and we really believe that it's important to sort of highlight our theological distinctives, not creeds or doctrines or belief pages or uh, anything like that, but instead these distinctives, because we also don't want to be a church that's false advertising, right? You know all these churches that, that maybe say, like, oh, they're welcome, or all can come here, and then you get in there, and it's like this sort of like bait and hook, right? Or bait and switch. And there's this sort of like weirdness about it. We, we want people to sort of know what they're getting into, what they're coming, what maybe some common threads and beliefs are, but never expecting or requiring them to believe those things to be a, an active and involved part of this community. Um, I know that for me, that's a little weird, because I know I grew up in certain traditions where everything the pastor said was authoritative, Right? You do not disagree with the pastor. If it's said from the pulpit, it is true. They are the mouthpiece of God. They are the authority of God. They are the absolute, where the buck stops. You question the, the pastor, you're questioning God, you're questioning scripture. They're the ones who get to interpret it. You just listen and obey. Can I get an amen if you've done that before? You've been a part of that. 
Yeah, or I should get maybe like an opposite of an amen. Um, yeah, and so it's really weird sometimes when you're in a progressive church and that's not a shared expectation or an unspoken expectation. And sometimes, sometimes I think it's easy for us as progressives to then project what we brought into this space um, onto the preacher and to think, well, I grew up in church where I wasn't allowed to disagree, and so maybe this church I'm not allowed to disagree either. And I just want to invite you into something and let you know that you can disagree with every preacher who stands up here. You don't have to agree with any or everything that we're up here to say. Um, we are not here to tell you what to believe. We're here to give you tools to help you figure out what you believe. And I think that's a really different space and place to be because the reality is, is like, yes, there are some of us on staff, as Mac referred to earlier, Pastor Mac referred to earlier, that are seminary trained and maybe we have a lot of education or experience in the church. But also, guess what? Like, we are humans. And if we look back at church history, plenty of strong church leaders really missed the mark, really messed things up, really didn't understand things, or they took their own experience and, or traditions or reasoning, and it, and it sort of distorted how something was to be understood. So never place us on that high pedestal that everything we say should be authoritative, but instead should be an invitation for you to ask deeper questions, to explore. We are up here to give you those tools. And so, and part of that is because we don't believe in the Father, Son, Holy Bible. Um, we believe in Holy Parent, Holy Child, Holy Spirit, or Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or, or Mother, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and we believe that, that the Bible is not equal to God. It is one of many tools in which we use to understand our faith, to understand our beliefs. And so we look to tradition, we look to experience, we look to reason, we look to scripture. Uh, and we draw upon all of these things to draw our, our thoughts and conclusions. And so I want to invite you this morning to let go. Let go of the people who taught you that you weren't, allowed, you weren't allowed to disagree with them, you weren't allowed to ask questions. But instead, I want to invite you to listen to sermons at Forefront with a spirit of wonder, not a spirit of certainty. With a spirit of, of it being the beginning of a conversation, not the end, which is why we have the sermon discussions after church. Because it should percolate questions, deeper understandings. It should cause you to want to know more or to explain or, or, or something to be unpacked more, to give your opinion. And maybe, just maybe, I know this happens to me, you will even change the opinion of the preacher because they had not considered a perspective when they came to the text that you bring. It's important for us, and I invite us to chew on the bones and to, to chew on the meat. You might break a tooth if you chew on the bone and spit out the bones. Do not expect your pastors or your small group leaders to be the absolute authority. It's just not, I think, the way the church ever, or spirit ever called us to live. And so we invite you to wrestle with this as we go through some of these things that we hold as theological distinctives. And really, what I, when I say distinctive, it's things that make our church com community distinct or unique, but they're not necessarily things that we require you to believe or ascribe to to be a part of us. So the first one is um, scripture interpretation. So we believe that we are growing in our understanding of scriptures. We believe the scripture is not dead. God still speaks to us through it. In the United Church of Christ where I'm ordained, they often say, don't place a period where God has placed a comma. God is still speaking today. Our eyes are open to all the ways that scripture is a wonderful library of wisdom that still teaches us to this day. We take scripture too seriously to take it literally. We read scripture, scripture in context and with commentary and we believe it is relevant for us today and is authorized by the Holy Spirit. So on Tuesday nights, uh, we're, um, we're meeting for a Reconstruct group. It's been a really great group to get together. And we've been going through this book by Rob Bell called What is the Bible? And, and Rob describes the Bible this way. He says, when you read the Bible, you read it as an unfolding story. You don't edit out the earlier bits, like the Old Testament, or pretend like, you're not, like they're not there. They reflect how people understood things at that time in that place. 
You read the stories in light of where they're headed. The earlier bits reflect how people understood things at that point in history, but the story keeps going. And the reality is, is that's what, when you read scripture, you really can see the evolution, the progression of people's faith, of, of each generation building and having a clearer picture of who God is, and their beliefs are changing over time, which to me is extremely comforting as a progressive Christian to know that my beliefs, my thoughts, they can progress. Why? Because based on tradition of the Christ, Judeo-Christian faith, that has always been. And the only reason I'm a Christian today is because Jews decided and Romans decided and, and Samaritans decided to allow their faith and their beliefs to evolve into a new belief that Jesus brought. And so when we think of our faith in, and we talk about scripture, I'm going to say it again, but was the quadrilateral? I think I've showed this to you. We've, we've, we've did a series on it. We talked about it. We, when, we, when we think about scripture, we don't just look to scripture alone. We look at scripture and we, and we, and we base it and we bounce it off of tradition and experience, not just our experience, but the experiences of other people, as well as we look to reason. And when you just look at one of these, then of course, you're going to be very tunnel-visioned, because God has given us a smorgasbord of ways to understand and interpret. And we see all of this even in Scripture, right? I mean, it's people sharing with us their experiences, their traditions that we don't know and understand at that time, their reasoning of who God is. And so, when we read scripture, we must know that we are also reading their Wesley quadrilateral and we're bringing our own. Amen? And so this is uh, our theological distinction of scripture. Another theological distinction about forefront is that we, how we interpret the, cr the cross. We believe in a just and generous God who is never separated from us. Many of us were taught that, right, we sinned, there's this chasm between us and God, and so somebody had to pay a price, somebody had to get killed, somebody had to be punished in order for us to be free of our punishment of sin. Well, we don't believe that. We don't believe that, that, that there was ever that separation from God on God's part. Instead, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are so that we can change our minds about the goodness of God, not so that God can change God's mind about our goodness. This is the good news of the gospel. God's justice is restorative. It is not punitive. Sin is systemic, not just individual. So like when we read the story of Adam and Eve, we don't view it as, oh, here's God coming angry to the garden, ready to punish. We view it as, here's God coming to the garden with a desire to reconcile what has gone on. And Adam and Eve are the ones that hide themselves from God. God never hides God's self from them. They're the ones hiding behind the bush. And they're uncomfortable to come out, so God kills an animal to cover their nakedness. God made them that way. God's not uncomfortable with their nakedness. They're the ones that are uncomfortable. And so God was helping them feel better in God's presence, not God helping God's self feel better in their presence. And so that's a very distinct thing as, as a progressive Christian thought. The prodigal son story is another image of this, right? You have this older son, and you have this younger son. The younger son messes up. He runs home to the father, and before he can even utter the words, I am sorry, the father is lavishing love and grace and mercy and understanding upon him. The, the father never needed his disposition or thoughts to be changed about him. It was the son who needed to be able to receive the father's love again for the first time. And to realize he was always loved. And that had never changed. He was just, the, old, the father was just waiting for his son to come to. And the older son thinks he's worthy of his father's love because he's been so good. And this invitation is for the, older, for the father to say, listen, I'm glad that you've been a good kid and you've worked the fields and you've been here with me, but that's not why I love you. And that's not why I love your brother. I love you because you're my kid. Progressive Christian thought. Theological distinctive of the Christian community. The other thing that's the theologically distinctive about us is that we believe in LGBT inclusion. 
So we are an inclusive church because we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is generous and inclusive. Queer people are included, celebrated, and integrated into our church life, ritual, and theology. We have queer people represented at all levels of leadership and an active LGBTQIA ministry called Queer Communion, which, uh, not Queer Communion, Cheers Queers Now, which we invite you to come and to be a part of. And there's a group on Facebook, on the groups page, you can join that. And uh, it's a gathering of LGBTQ people that gather every other month. And we'll be gathering next month, November, and you wave your hands for uh, Friendsgiving at Natasha and Mary's. And so if you want to come and be a part of that, join that group. We would love to have you be a part of that space. Um, you may have never seen this uh, spectrum before, but I want to show this to you. So churches are often on a spectrum of inclusion. So there's welcoming, accepting, affirming, and celebrating. Welcoming is, sure, gay people can sit in our pews, that's fine. Um, and, and, and you're welcome to give and tithe and everything, but you're definitely not, you know, definitely not going to serve on the worship team or be a pastor and be involved. We're not going to do your wedding, that's for sure. We're praying for your change, but sure, sit here until you change. And accepting is, is you know, like, we, we like you, you, you you're, we, we accept you for who you are, and you know, you might even be able to serve as an usher, you could serve on janitorial staff, um, but, but we're not going to do your wedding, you're not going to pastor, and, and we really aren't going to have you have any upfront roles. We, we accept you, but and we don't expect you to change necessarily, but be single and celibate, that's probably best, that's good enough, you don't have to change, just be single and celibate. Been there? I've been there. Thank God I'm not there anymore. Um, and then affirming is, is right, it's usually a church has made a decision, I'm, we're, we're going to perform LGBTQ weddings, we're, we would allow LGBTQ pastors in the church. Um, there's usually this sort of acceptance and space of people. But then there's the last one, which is celebrating, which is where I believe Forefront is at. And, and, and I've served in churches on all these spectrums, and this at, we are absolutely at the celebrating mark, and that's something to celebrate about. Um... And celebrating means often that the stories and experiences of LGBTQ people are not just occasionally brought up on Pride Sunday, but they're also centered. Celebrating means that Pride Month, the church chooses to celebrate what's, what LGBTQ people are, but also maybe that's a marching, but also that's not the only time that that experience is celebrated and uplifted and acknowledged. Celebrating looks like... Um, uh, uh, in, in including and involving in the life of the church LGBTQ people at all forms of leadership and not just, yeah, we'll do your wedding, right? Celebrating takes it to another level in which that experience is completely normalized. And it is not the exception, but it is also centered with the, the privileged groups of uh, white, straight, cis individuals as well. And while LGBTQ inclusion, I think, is really, really important, I also think that, that this uh, encompasses the role of women because often we forget about women, right? We focus on anti-racism, we focus on LGBTQ, and we forget about the fight that women have gone through and women continue need to go through, right? To be able to be treated as equal and to give an equal authority and voice and leadership in the church. And so I think it's important to also highlight that as a theological distinct that often is rare in other churches as well. But I also say that as a church, you know, we say we're LGBTQ affirming it, but we're striving to be anti-racist. And I think that's because if you look at the LGBTQ affirming spectrum, I wouldn't quite say that we're yet on the celebrating side of anti-racism work. And what I mean by that is, is to not just be, oh, I'm not a racist, right? I'm not a racist. But to actually be, how am I being actively anti-racist? How, how am I actually working to, to, to dismantle the systems? Because silence and just saying, I'm not a racist, I don't have anything, I don't have anything to do, actually, it doesn't actually do anything. It's actually just as painful. It's actually, you're just, you're just sort of, like, that's almost as bad as, like, we're just, you could sit in the pews. You can be with us. You can join us. Right? No. 
not, not the church that we're striving to be, not the church we're trying to be, which is one of the reasons why we're, we're, we're really striving um, for this anti-racism training work for our leaders primarily, right, but everybody in the congregation, so that, that trickles down into changing the culture so that we can move further on that spectrum. So anti-racism, let's look at what that, what that means as a church. It's one of our theological distinctives. As an anti-racist church, we want to transform the way we see our neighbors. This goes beyond reconciliation and diversity, but about reframing our faith. White Christianity is primarily about one's private relationship with God. Catch this. And not external structures or systems that affect us. At Forefront, we strive to decolonize our faith, to pray, to educate ourselves. We have a white, we, we, and we have had a white racist and, uh, accountability group. We've had a people of color decolonizing group, as well as now we're striving to do this anti-racism group. Those are just a drop in the bucket of the work that needs to be done, that has been done, is beginning to be done. So I want us to unpack for a moment, what, the, what does that look like when, the, when, when we talk about personal relationship with God and then the systemic issue? Um, growing up in primarily white churches, um, most of my white preachers, including myself for a long stint of my ministry, I focused on personal sins, right? Adultery, sex beyond marriage, uh, outside of mar- beyond marriage, sex outside of marriage, uh, <laughs> homosexuality, abortion, pornography, right? Lying, stealing, being deceptive in the workplace, divorce. These very personal, individual sins. That's what I harped in on. That's what a lot of of sort of white church experiences harp in on, the individual. Whereas you often see in the black church as well as in the progressive church, while, while those things can be talked about, the main focus, the main focus is more of a systemic things like racism, misogyny and homophobia, systems of oppression that benefit the wealthy and hurt the poor, the care for the migrants and the criminal justice reform, calls to communal responses to climate change. See these differences? Now, I don't think that we should be on either extremes. I think there's a, there's a healthy balance in all of it. But I think when you focus on one, you dismiss the others. And, and then sometimes what we do in our culture where we pin them against each other and they become the issues that we could become voting issues. And, 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 and uh, quite frankly, it's, it's, it's a sad reality, and it comes back to the interpretation of the cross. There's a schism between God and I, right? God and I, God and I. Something has to be repaired. It's all about God and I. Instead of realizing the greater system, the greater narrative, the greater story, the greater problems, the greater issues that are at work. Why does Jesus not come down, I think, and condemn and cause pain and hurt to the woman at the well? Because he realizes I think when he calls out the ways in which that she's been married multiple times and is living with a man that she's not married to now, he's acknowledging the system that she lives in that has not allowed her to be able to even be the one to make the decision to get the divorce. She was divorced. A woman could not divorce a man. She had been abandoned five times, and now the man that she was with wouldn't marry her because she was spoiled goods in that culture as a woman. Jesus isn't like, oh, you're just such an adulterous whore. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am calling out this system. And that's why when she goes and tells her friends about this Jesus she met, she says, he told me about everything I've ever done. And he still loved me anyways. And I wonder if what her journey went on to be able to figure out that it wasn't what she had been done, what she had done, but it was what had been done to her that Jesus was inviting her to see. And the last theological distinctive is that of politics of Jesus. Before I do that, I'm going to move one more plug. We still have open spots for the anti-racism training. You want to just not be a racist? <laughs> and actually do something about being, and be an anti-racist person? 
Make me believe it. Sign on up. <laughs> Sign up. The last theological distinctive is politics of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is political and that he was always on the side of those who were marginalized and disempowered. Political doesn't mean partisan, vote for this party or that. It means we will actively name and resist systems and policies of oppression that harm the poor, immigrants, LGBTQ folks, and people of color, and especially our black siblings. We have a justice ministry here that seeks to enable our church to take action. It's interesting when you think about, uh, as well, comparing these sort of different worlds, uh, the white church and the black church and the way in which politics has been handled in both those spaces. Uh, the black church is often one of the only places where, the, where there is a center of power within the black community and influence. And the white church has often taken the privilege of being able to not bring candidates in or endorse candidates from the pulpit or take to the streets for what they would believe to be political actions, the systemic things, right? Ignoring the systemic things, focusing on the individual personal things. And that is a privilege, and we're seeing that begin to shift in our culture now as well. We're seeing something happen. We're seeing something move because the white church is realizing that they can't just sit out on the topics of systemic issues, that they are going to have to pick a side and do something about it. And unfortunately, in many ways, the white church is often picking the wrong side of the debate. But when I think about this historically, you think about the questions of we look at, at, at two figures that are well-known in, in the evangelical world or the Christian world. You have, you have Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Billy Graham. Reverend Dr. Billy Graham said that he was not going to go march on Selma. That he was not going to speak out about racial issues because he believed that his call, as he said, was to, quote, focus on mass evangelism, and that would distract from that purpose. He thought that segregation was a political issue that he could just opt out of. The black church, the black community, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, they didn't have that option. They didn't have that privilege. And while Reverend Dr. King sat in prison in the Birmingham jail, he, he penned a letter and said, addressing his disappointments in the white clergy for resisting his activism and encouraging him to just wait for change. The white church for too long has just thought they could just sit and wait for change. And how convenient and comfortable for them for they often were the ones upholding the structure. And so as long as they sat and waited, nothing would change. It's often important for us to remember that, yes, we will engage in political things. We will engage in things that maybe make you uncomfortable. We will choose to speak out on things that you may have been taught in the white church that those are too political, or to just be quiet if you grew up in the black church, perhaps. Maybe you, some folks in your churches told you, be quiet. Just sit back. Don't ruffle the feathers. Don't say anything. Just be nice. It'll all be fine. At least we've come this far. Maybe you've heard that. That is not the church we're going to be. We are engaging in the politics of Jesus because Jesus engaged in politics by upending systems and not just naming individual sins, but up, upturning systems that caused people to be held back, not fully loved and equal in this world. And so church, I invite us this morning to be a church that is distinctly different than the other churches that we grew up in. And that begins here. Each of us individually doing the work to figure out what we believe, what we think, who we are, who we want to be. And as we do that work, this church will take shape 
and it will be a distinct church in the world. We continue to be. Mac, Pastor Mac, who just was gone doing uh, continued education this week, kept telling us this week, there are so many people I'm meeting at these conferences who know of us. They're watching us. They're following us. They're engaging in what we're doing. I had no idea people were watching us. And often, I don't know or think that either. And it's a good reminder that we are setting a precedent of ushering in a different type of Christianity. One that I think is just a little bit closer to the Christianity Jesus asked us to make. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.